0: Why is it significant to remember? And there's something profoundly spiritual about remembering. And so I want to connect our uh, talk, because so I want to take you back to some of God's activity in this very place and in this community of faith. But I want you to realize it, it, that there is a theme in Scripture about remembering. Listen to is Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. So the Lord Himself speaking to the people, is saying, Remember what I have done. How about this one in Deuteronomy 4.9? But watch out, be careful never to get what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live and be sure to pass them on to your children and to your grandchildren. So now we've got the storytelling that's getting passed down generation by generation. How about actually building things that visually will remind us of the past. Like from Joshua chapter 4. Remember when they, they had to come through the flooding Jordan River? They grabbed the stones from the middle of the river. This is where they're told to do this. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan. Sorry, i losing my font here. Go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulders. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We'll use these stones to build a memorial in the future. Your children will ask. Now, just don't lose the significance of that. Because there's there's... there's Fewer things that are truer than the preferences of the generation shift as time goes by. But faith must be passed from generation to generation. And it takes the wisdom, the courage, and the grace of those who've got more decades under their belt to repeatedly empower. It was just wonderful. Now, I've already lost your name, but it was Ryan Kylie Gardner's daughter. I knew your parents. Kira? Kira, Kira who just led a prayer. That, that is so awesome. Repeatedly cheer on and empower the younger voices and, can I dare say, even the styles that aren't necessarily your own. And that there's nothing new under the sun about that. Now, I remember when I first arrived at Mornington Baptist Church, Fred Abbott was the organist. For those who've really got a long history... Three hymn on the left-hand side, big wall panel, three hymn numbers. But to this sense of make sure that you pass these things on. We will use these stones to build a memorial in the future. Your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you will tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flying when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel Forever, And of course, just one final one, and you'll recognise it very well from 1 Corinthians 11, which connects to the Lord's Supper. I'll just go to those, that final little line there. This is my body which is given for you. Do this what in... Remembrance of me. So remembering is really important. We can never live in the past. You, you, like, you can't drive a car perpetually looking in the rear vision mirror. We mustn't live in the past. We must live in the present. But the past does inform us about the future. Remembering is really, really important. The retelling of the God stories, the retelling of the stories of things that God has done in the past, and we do it repeatedly in Scripture, but there is a contemporary story of the activity of God that repeatedly needs to be told. Why? Because it doesn't only build up our own faith, but it builds the faith of the generations who are coming through because they also will therefore aspire to see God himself act in a way that God alone can do so that no human being can take glory for it. It's clearly God himself has done something. That's worth at least a little bit of noise. Thank you. Give me something. Like, I'm trying to communicate here. Don't sit there in stunned silence, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry if, I'm, if, you know, everything's always different when you get a different person up the front. But you'll, it'll go better if you at least make a little noise, all right? Now, I can remember getting onto a plane, flying from Adelaide to Melbourne, and when I walked onto the plane, and it was still sitting, you know, there at the terminal... And I had the aisle seat, there was an empty seat, and then there was a lady sitting by the window. And as I walked up to my seat, she was already there, and she was shaking and she was crying. And I did that little, you know, do I pretend like I didn't see it, or do I acknowledge that I've seen it? You know, so I'm I'm getting myself all together, and she's crying and shaking and lots of stuff. So I got myself in my seat. I said, are you okay? And she said to me, I have a phobia of flying. So I'm having a panic attack, but my daughter has had a baby in Melbourne, so, you know... She was like risking her life to get on a plane and, and go to Melbourne. And so I did this kind of little lightning prayer and, um, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do with this? And I said, I'm actually a pastor of a church. Would you like me to pray for you? And she said, that would be lovely. I said, like, right now? She said, yes. So I'm reaching across. I've known this woman for all of 45 seconds. I'm reaching across an empty seat here and I've got my hand on her shoulder and I'm praying out loud for her. You know, for 45 minutes I prayed to God. No, I didn't. But <laughs> <clears throat> just a really simple, you know, just a really s- simple, quick prayer. Thank you so much, Lord. You know, that um, as you, I asked her her name. can't remember her name. Thank you, let's say she's Karen. Thank you so much, Lord, for Karen. You know her and you love her. And, you, and you're going to keep her safe. And when she feels afraid during this trip, just remind her you're here with her because you care for her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Where was the, one of the worst flights I've been on in my life? I thought, like we were bouncing around everywhere, we hit some kind of turbulence, I thought I was going to be sick. And then my prayers started to change, I'm like, Lord, if I'm like vomiting in a paper bag, it's going to really discredit that prayer I did earlier, like just now help me not to vomit nights and stuff. And like when we were bouncing around everywhere, she's looking over at me and I said, we're going to be fine, we're going to be fine. Now, and we were. Now here's the deal. I had a lot of faith to get on that plane. I wouldn't even know how many times I've flown. I just get on a plane. I don't even think about it. I feel very relaxed. For her, she had very little trust in that plane. And it it was freaking her out with a panic attack. But we both arrived at the same time. I had a lot of faith. And she had a little bit of faith. But we both made it. In fact, at one point, when the disciples said to Jesus, "Lord, increase our faith," he went small. If you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Therefore, I ask you, what's the advantage of having bigger faith? Is there any? And it's this: you get to enjoy you get to enjoy the ride more. If you're a frequent flyer with God you'll get to enjoy the ride more. Why? Because you will delve into the narrative of your very life. And you'll say, God, you did it before. God, you provided before. God, you healed before. God, you saved before. God, you restored before. You've renewed. You've done all of these things before. You will lean back into your narrative of trust. Greater faith just helps you to enjoy the ride a little bit more. Now, so I want us to I want to tell some stories of the past, because God has acted powerfully here at New Peninsula uh, historically. I remember uh, when I first came to Mornington Baptist Church, I was 32 years old, uh, four children. Our youngest was six weeks old. New Peninsula is really, really, sorry... Mornington Baptist Church was really, really conservative. I remember on my first month, we were about to have a communion service. I asked a woman to say a prayer at communion, and that woman said to me, "No woman has ever said a prayer at communion in the history of this church." Okay, okay, right. I remember. I remember saying to the elders when been at the church for a few months, and. Um, and I said, it doesn't appear that there are very many environments that we expect or invite God to move in power. How about when we have communion, I'll stand at the front with oil and I'll offer to pray for anyone who's sick, that they might be healed. Ooh. Mmm. I said, does that say it in the Bible. That was the big deal. Does say it in the Bible. Uh, Scott Brown has gone to be with the Lord. Daryl Wise. I didn't see Darrell uh, today. Um, Ian Chapman, I'm not sure, Ian, if you were still in the eldership at that point or not, whether you were part of that conversation or you just finished. And oh, you know, that was a bit of a concern. They said, look, you'll want to give the congregation warning. Okay, because we haven't done that before. Okay, so the week before, the communion service, we're gonna, um, I'm going to have oil here next week. I'll say, if you've got any needs whatsoever, you come forward while we're having communion, I'll pray. And if you're sick, I'll pray for you to be healed. Well, the following week came, communion's being distributed. I'm standing up front with the oil. anyone's got any needs, come forward and I'll pray for your healing or anything else. Well, nobody moved. I'm standing at the front. I'm feeling like an idiot, to be honest with you. You know, that little voice inside your head that's going, "Yeah, I knew this wasn't going to work. It's a bad idea and uh, I'm standing out there. Like, you've never seen such a healthy congregation. There was not one bit of sickness in the entire congregation. Nobody is moving. Everyone's sitting there like this and I'm like, oh, okay. And then one lady stood up and moved forward Lois Dubican. Orm's wife, Lois. If you know John and Sandra Dubican, I think they still might live in the peninsula, I know the name John Dubican. And, um, and uh, Lois Dubican stands up, from memory, about 82. She came up, she shuffled up to me and she said, this week the doctor told me, because of the chronic degeneration of the discs in my neck, I'll have to wear this solid plastic neck brace for the rest of my life. Can you please pray that God will heal my neck? I'm not sure how you feel in that moment. Internally, my voice says, oh, why did it have to be something like that? Why couldn't she like have had a cold? Or why couldn't it be someone who needed a job? Or... Why did it have to be a medically diagnosed, structural... My faith kind of went to my back pocket, it went to my sock, it went and hid behind the plant in the corner. And I'm, I anointed anointed with oil. I said, Lord Jesus, you've heard her prayer, you've heard her request. I'm just asking you to heal her in Jesus' name. Amen. That was it. He shuffled back to her seat. Well, Thursday that week, Orm, her husband, called me daily, says, God's healed Lois's neck. And I quote myself, you're joking. (laughs) You're joking. He goes, no, no, no. No, been, she's been neck brace free all week. So I went around to see them the following Tuesday. And here's Lois sitting here. I walk in. I said, Lois, I'm told God's healed your neck. He has. Watch this. (laughs) She says, I can hang out the washing. I can look at the sky. Look, look. And I'm going, oh, oh, stop, stop, stop. I said, Lois, Lazarus died again. If you keep throwing your head around like a teenage headbanger, you might have a bad neck again, all right? Just go easy with whatever God's doing. Now, she remained neck brace free for nine months, and that family described that as her miracle. I remember John Lankamp. John and Francis, I conducted their wedding. When he was 82 and she was 79, they were both widowed. And I remember doing marriage preparation for them. And they said to me, I'd never done a marriage prep where a couple said, well, look, we might get one year or we might get five. <laughs> but that's what they were saying, because of their age. We might get one year, we might get five. We fill it with God's gift to each other. And about a year after their wedding, Frances called me and she said, so sorry to tell you this. And with voice breaking, she said, John's been told he's got about three weeks left to live. I said, "Francis, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, yeah, we've been mapping it already for months. He's got this really aggressive cancer in his liver and it's starting to spread around his body. And we've just come back from the oncologist. And they said, get your house in order. You're into kind of the weeks zone. I said, oh, Francis. And they put on John, Dutch, stoic Dutch. Eh, you know, I'm all right. You know, I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to heaven. I've had a good life. And you know, it's that's, that's all just fine. Well, I saw them at church. And then the next week I saw them at church. Then week three, week four, week five, week six. And, you know, when someone's told they've only got a few weeks left to live. And can I just be candid? John was like an old 82. He was like 82 going on 100. You know, he he was an old 82. There's different versions of 82. He was an old 82, okay. But he still kept coming into church. And then my phone rings. And it's Frances. And she says, praise the Lord. Because she was Dutch as well. I said, what's that, Frances? She goes, God's healed John of his cancer. I'm I'm like, hang on, just unpack that for me a little bit. She said, we've just been to the... The oncologist called us, she said about a week ago, and said, let's do another scan, let's see what's happening, because John's living longer than we expected. (laughs) And they scanned again, and we came home, and then they called us up the next day, and they said, something went wrong with that scan. You need to come back in again, and we'll scan you again. So they scanned him again. And then they got invited into the oncologist's surgery or office, he put up the old scans where his body's got a lot of cancer, especially his liver. Put up the new scans, clean as a whistle. And the, and, the, and the oncologist said, no, you need to hear these stories. The oncologist said to John, we don't know how it's even possible, but you are cancer-free. There, it's all over the place. Here, there is none. Francis said, praise the Lord. And he said to her, you might as well praise him because we have no explanation how that's possible. He lived for another seven years before kind of age caught up with him. Uh, John and Francis Lengkamp. Now, I could tell you more stories. I could tell you more stories. The six-year-old boy with chronic, acute um, um, allergies. He couldn't even drink tap water. Spontaneously healed. Eating pizza within a couple of weeks. His mom crying as she writes me a letter of, 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 of his healing. I could tell you. Wendy Odgers. Do you guys even tell the story of Wendy Odgers? Paraplegic for fourteen years, when neural connection was reconnected, and she started to be able to lift up her legs out of her just phenomenal stuff. A God who heals—it's in your historic narrative of this church. i got no idea what your theology is. I know there's always going to be in any gathering like this, some who are cessationists, God doesn't do it anymore and I just say to you, our narrative in this church does not agree with your theology. God has healed, does heal, continues to heal. I want you to be aware of that. Uh, How about provision? (laughs) When Mornington Baptist Church was in Moomba Street... And this very brave congregation, faith-filled congregation, set aside about six or eight of us and agreed at a meeting that our future wasn't on that site, even though the church had been planted there and been there about 40 years. Our future's not on this site. Team went looking around. I saw Doug Butler back over there just before. And then Doug helped to, uh, helped to identify some buyers for Moomba Street. And we found this site. And, um, and David Coyle was involved in all of that. Uh, Ian Cathy was involved in that. And there will be some others. I'm sorry if I've forgotten your name on that committee. And, um, and we approached Southeast Water to see whether they would liquidate this asset. Because it was sitting empty. They said, it's not for sale. But how would you use it? Anyway, fast forward the tape. They put it on the market. When they call us to say it's on the market... That same week, within two days, Doug Butler brings in a buying group who needed to own some land on the peninsula, chasing a government contract for aged care or something. They paid the church 50% higher than market value, but this church needed to decide. We announced it on a Sunday, and they needed a signed contract by Monday fortnight. You catch that? The church had been there for 40 years. And we said to the church, "We're calling a special meeting in a fortnight. We're asking for two weeks of special prayer and fasting, seeking God, because in a fortnight we will decide whether we're liquidating this asset for 50% above market value. Um, It's either yes or no. Maybe is no. They need a signed contract." And during that fortnight, I had so many people come to me and saying, "Honestly, what chance have we got of buying this other place? It was going on market for public tender." And my standard response was, "We got one chance." It's if God wants us to have it. If God wants us to have it, we'll get it. And if he doesn't, it's because he's got something better for us. And when we got back together a fortnight later and people told story after story how they predisposed no, and in a fortnight of prayer, they came around to yes. And when we voted, 93% in favor of liquidating the asset. Amazing, a fortnight's notice, a church completely liquidates their asset. And then by the grace of God, some months later, this whole site, 15, 15 and a half acres, whatever it is, this building, four and a half thousand square metres under a roof line, that the government had capitalised 10 million onto the land, this entire site was purchased for $1.45 million as a miracle of God. Provision! Provision. Now we need to hear these stories, and the reason we need to hear these stories is because we can start to forget some of these stories. How about stories of salvation? So many people started to put their trust in Jesus. It was fantastic. I can remember at one kind of little serendipitous moment feeling like there were more than enough alpha males in my world. I need to keep an eye on my time. More than enough alpha males in my world, and invited them to a meal. So I communicated with them and said, How about six weeks of God conversations? Over cheese and wine and whatever, and picked a mate who had a good executive home because they're all high flyers. And 10 said yes. And just to cut to the chase over those weeks, I remember in about week four, one of the guys goes, Don't know about the rest of you, I've got enough in the box, I'm in. And I went, Pardon? He says, I'm in. I said, What do you mean you're in? He goes, What do you want me to say? He said, Look, J- Jesus is my saviour. What he what you've been talking about, what he did on the cross, he died, he says, I'm in. I said, that's fantastic. The whole group celebrated. Six of those ten men were baptized. Put their trust in Jesus, got baptized. Salvation. The, the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. that gospel still works. People's hearts are still hungry. We just need to find our language, our tone, our tone, our timing. There is a whole zone, can I say? If this is the cross right here, he, Western Christianity calls this, evangelism calls that discipleship. If Jesus was the master discipler, he had disciples, he worked in this zone, He discipled them two face and to a life of faith. There's a whole zone here where you can learn how to disciple people towards faith in Jesus and to a life of faith in Jesus. And of course, as a result of all of that, renewal took place. And I agree with Paul. When Paul said before, the best is yet to come, great days lie ahead of you. But here is the responsibility that comes to every generation And when I say generation, I'm not talking now about a specific generation. I'm talking about this generation of New Peninsula. This cluster of brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a responsibility that comes to every generation to trust God. To be a frequent flyer with God. You know how faith is spelled? R-I-S-K. Standing in the midst of miracles. Always on the edge of disaster. That's where faith is. And got to get that, that kind of that sense of edginess about this whole faith journey with God and this whole trusting with Jesus with no guarantees it's going to work, but a sense of unction and compulsion, this sense of prompting and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> that, that God oh, that God would raise up men and women who dare to trust Him. People who are far more concerned with what God thinks than what the, the person who might list an eyebrow would think. That people who will be courageous, prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. People who will be generous. They'll find their wallet and the issue won't be, oh, could I even afford to tithe? They would be saying, God, what do you want me to invest into your work? That the work will be well resourced. That the church won't be perpetually double guessing itself about whether or not we can do an initiative. We feel like the Lord wants us to do an initiative, but we can't really afford it. Oh, for goodness sake, find your wallet. We're a first world nation. Oh, I'm serious. We're a- Honestly, if you want to get any sense of how much you trust God, check your bank balance. Honestly, we're a first world nation. One of the richest nations in the world. This gathering right here is inside like the top 1% of global wealth, and we struggle to find a dollar, and it just it just says everything about our heart. See, the pastor can't say this. Get a visitor in. Yeah? Like, What's wrong with you people? You know? <laughs> no, it's not because I know anything, by the way. I'm, I'm just speaking in principle. If that applies to you, well, so be it. I'm just speaking in principle. Now, so this, this, this living God, this living God, this Jesus who continues to touch and transform lives, this community of faith where everything will be born out of prayer, guided by the Holy Spirit, empowered, risky, taking the, taking the ground so that the defensive ramparts of hell, otherwise known as the gates of hell, will not prevail against the forward advance of this church. Amen? Amen. Good. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, I want to pray right now, actually, for anyone who's in the room who's never put their trust in Jesus. And if that's you, I give you an opportunity to do it right now. Because the ball's in your court. Bible already says God has declared His love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God has already made the sacrifice to demonstrate how much He is for you and how much He wants you. It's not an invitation to be religious. It's an invitation into a relationship with Him. And if that's you, and if you're uncertain about your standing with God right now, You've been trying to figure out whether you can be good enough and aligned enough and all those sorts of stuff. And I just want to say to you right now, your invitation is to put your trust in Jesus, to say to Him, what you did on the cross, you did for me. And I'm just going to invite all heads to be bowed right now, just for a sec. And I, if you know exactly what I'm already talking about, fill this room with your prayers. For one person who's uncertain about their standing with God. And if that's you and you're uncertain, I invite you now. Pray with me like this. Say, God in heaven, thank you so much that you do love me and you care for me. Thank you that you love me enough to self-sacrifice to have Jesus die on the cross for my sins. And right now, with faltering faith and with varying levels of internal conflict, I want to reach out and I want to say yes and say, thank you, Jesus. What you did on that cross, you did for me. And I'm going to turn away from my self-rule and I'm actually going to face you now. And say, forgive me, make me a son or a daughter of the living God. Now while all heads and while lots of people are praying for you, if that's you and it might only be you, if that's you on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to be brave and own it. I'm going to invite you to lift your face, I don't care if you're a child or a senior citizen or anywhere in between, we're gonna invite you to lift your face and raise your hand above your head and catch my attention and own it. Say so today, today, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. Are you ready? On three. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Raise your hand, bless you, ma'am. So give it, wave it above you. Over here, right up the back. Bless you, ma'am. Raise your hand high. Over here. Lift your face as well. I want to see your face. Come on, you got your head down over there with your hand raised. That's it. Bless you. Bless you. Over there, mate. Good on you. Cheers. Young lady. Bless you. That's awesome. See, the the gospel, this good news, bless you, ma'am. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is powerful. He will forgive you. If you've been uncertain, don't be uncertain anymore. He will forgive you right now. He'll wash you clean. So God in heaven, I pray that you'll make that real for each heart that reaches out to you in faith right now. Father, make it real. Wash them clean. The shed blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Give them a fresh start. Make it real and new in their hearts. By your Holy Spirit, That you declare them a child of the living God. And Father, I want to pray for this church that you would so move empowered by your Holy Spirit, that the stories of the future would be far greater than the stories of the past. That, Father, there would be this sense that the living God of heaven, the God who touches and transforms, will move again as your word says that you'll do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ever ask or hope for. May your grace rest upon Paul on every layer of leadership and service in this place. For the glory of the one and only and supreme Lord Jesus Christ, that God's people agreed and said, amen and amen. God bless you.